Section 19 of The Descent of Man, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Descent of Man, Part 1 by Charles Darwin. Chapter 7 on the races of man part three it is evident from many statements in the life of bishop Patterson that the melanesians of the new hebrides and neighboring archipelagos suffered to an extraordinary degree in health and perished in large numbers when they were removed to new zealand norfolk island and other salubrious places in order to be educated as missionaries the decrease of the native population of the Sandwich Islands is as notorious as that of New Zealand. It has been roughly estimated by those best capable of judging that when Cook discovered the islands in 1779, the population amounted to about 300,000. According to a loose census in 1823, the numbers then were 142,050. In 1832, and at several subsequent periods, an accurate census was officially taken, but I have been able to obtain only the following returns. Year, native population, except during 1832 and 1836, when the few foreigners in the islands were included. Annual rate of decrease percent, assuming it to have been uniform between the successive censuses these censuses being taken at irregular intervals. 1832, 130,313, 446 percent. 1836, 108,579, 2.47 percent. 1853, 71,019. Eighty one hundredths of a percent. Eighteen sixty. Sixty seven thousand. Eighty four. Two point eighteen percent. Eighteen sixty six. Fifty eight thousand seven hundred and sixty five. Two point seventeen percent. Eighteen seventy two. 51,531, no percent given. We here see that in the interval of 40 years between 1832 and 1872, the population has decreased no less than 68%. This has been attributed by most writers to the profligacy of the women, to former bloody wars, and to the severe labor imposed on conquered tribes, and to newly introduced diseases, which have been on several occasions extremely destructive. No doubt these and other such causes have been highly efficient, and may account for the extraordinary rate of decrease between the years 1832 and 1836. But the most potent of all the causes seems to be lessened fertility. 
according to Dr. Ruschenberger of the U.S. Navy, who visited these islands between 1835 and 1837, in one district of Hawaii, only 25 men out of 1,134, and in another district only 10 out of 637, had a family with as many as three children. Of 80 married women, only 39 had ever borne children, and, quote, the official report gives an average of half a child to each married couple on the whole island, end quote. This is almost exactly the same average as with the Tasmanians at Oyster Cove. Jarvis, who published his history in 1843, says that, quote, families who have three children are freed from all taxes. Those having more are rewarded by gifts of land and other encouragements, end quote. This unparalleled enactment by the government well shews how infertile the race had become. The Reverend A. Bishop stated in the Hawaiian Spectator in 1839 that a large proportion of the children die at early ages, and Bishop Staley informs me that this is still the case just as in New Zealand. This has been attributed to the neglect of the children by the women, but is probably in large part due to innate weakness of constitution in the children in relation to the lessened fertility of their parents. There is, moreover, a further resemblance to the case of New Zealand in the fact that there is a large excess of male over female births. The census of 1872 gives 31,650 males to 25,247 females of all ages. That is 125.36 males for every 100 females. Whereas in all civilized countries, the females exceed the males. No doubt the profligacy of the women may in part account for their small fertility, but their changed habits of life is a much more probable cause, and which will at the same time account for the increased mortality, especially of the children. The islands were visited by Cook in 1779, Vancouver in 1794, and often subsequently by whalers. In 1819, missionaries arrived and found that idolatry had been already abolished and other changes effected by the king. After this period, there was a rapid change in almost all the habits of life of the natives, and they soon became, quote, the most civilized of the Pacific Islanders, end quote. One of my informants, Mr. Cohen, who was born on the islands, remarks that the natives have undergone a greater change in their habits of life in the course of fifty years than Englishmen during a thousand years. From information received from Bishop Staley, it does not appear that the poor classes have ever much changed their diet, although many new kinds of fruit have been introduced, and the sugar cane is in universal use. Owing, however, to their passion for imitating Europeans, they altered their manner of dressing at an early period, 
and the use of alcoholic drinks became very general. Although these changes appear inconsiderable, I can well believe, from what is known with respect to animals, that they might suffice to lessen the fertility of the natives. Lastly, Mr. McNamara states that the low and degraded inhabitants of the Andaman Islands, on the eastern side of the Gulf of Bengal, are, quote, eminently susceptible to any change of climate. In fact, take them away from their island homes, and they are almost certain to die, and that independently of diet or extraneous influences. End quote. He further states that the inhabitants of the valley of Nepal, which is extremely hot in summer, and also the various hill tribes of India, suffer from dysentery and fever when on the plains, and they die if they attempt to pass the whole year there. We thus see that many of the wilder races of man are apt to suffer much in health when subjected to changed conditions or habits of life, and not exclusively from being transported to a new climate. Mere alterations in habits, which do not appear injurious in themselves, seem to have this same effect and in several cases the children are particularly liable to suffer. It has often been said, as Mr. McNamara remarks, that man can resist with impunity the greatest diversities of climate and other changes, but this is true only of the civilized races. Man in his wild condition seems to be in this respect almost as susceptible as his nearest allies, the anthropoid apes, which have never yet survived long when removed from their native country. Lessened fertility from changed conditions, as in the case of the Tasmanians, Maoris, Sandwich Islanders, and apparently the Australians, is still more interesting than their liability to ill health and death, for even a slight degree of infertility combined with those other causes which tend to check the increase of every population would sooner or later lead to extinction. The diminution of fertility may be explained in some cases by the profligacy of the women, as until lately with the Tahitians, but Mr. Fenton has shewn that this explanation by no means suffices with the New Zealanders, nor does it with the Tasmanians. In the paper above quoted, Mr. McNamara gives reasons for believing that the inhabitants of districts subject to malaria are apt to be sterile, but this cannot apply in several of the above cases. Some writers have suggested that the aborigines of islands have suffered infertility and health from long-continued interbreeding, but in the above cases infertility has coincided too closely with the arrival of Europeans for us to admit this explanation nor have we at present any reason to believe that man is highly sensitive to the evil effects of interbreeding, especially in areas so large as New Zealand and the Sandwich Archipelago with its diversified stations. On the contrary, it is known that the present inhabitants of Norfolk Island are nearly all cousins or near relations, as are the Todas in India, and the inhabitants of some of the western islands of Scotland. 
and yet they seem not to have suffered infertility. A much more probable view is suggested by the analogy of the lower animals. The reproductive system can be shown to be susceptible to an extraordinary degree, though why we know not, to changed conditions of life, and this susceptibility leads both to beneficial and to evil results. A large collection of facts on this subject is given in Chapter 18 of Volume 2 of my Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication. I can here give only the briefest abstract, and everyone interested in the subject may consult the above work. Very slight changes increase the health, vigor, and fertility of most or all organic beings, whilst other changes are known to render a large number of animals sterile. One of the most familiar cases is that of tamed elephants not breeding in India. Though they often breed in Ava, where the females are allowed to roam about the forest to some extent, and are thus placed under more natural conditions. The case of various American monkeys, both sexes of which have been kept for many years together in their own countries, and yet have very rarely or never bred, is a more apposite instance. Because of their relationship to man, it is remarkable how slight a change in the conditions often induces sterility in a wild animal when captured, and this is the more strange as all our domestic animals have become more fertile than they were in a state of nature, and some of them can resist the most unnatural conditions with undiminished fertility. Certain groups of animals are much more liable than others, to be affected by captivity, and generally all the species of the same group are affected in the same manner. But sometimes a single species in a group is rendered sterile, whilst the others are not so. On the other hand, a single species may retain its fertility whilst most of the others fail to breed. The males and females of some species, when confined, or when allowed to live almost but not quite free in their native country, never unite. Others, thus circumstanced, frequently unite but never produce offspring. Others, again, produce some offspring but fewer than in a state of nature, and as bearing on the above cases of man, it is important to remark that the young are apt to be weak and sickly or malformed and to perish at an early age. Seeing how general is this law of the susceptibility of the reproductive system to change conditions of life, and that it holds good with our nearest allies, the quadrumana, I can hardly doubt that it applies to man in his primeval state. Hence, if savages of any race are induced suddenly to change their habits of life, they become more or less sterile, and their young offspring suffer in health, in the same manner and from the same cause as do the elephant 
and hunting leopard in india many monkeys in america and a host of animals of all kinds on removal from their natural conditions we can see why it is that aborigines who have long inhabited islands and who must have been long exposed to nearly uniform conditions should be specially affected by any change in their habits as seems to be the case civilized races can certainly resist changes of all kinds far better than savages and in this respect they resemble domesticated animals for though the latter sometimes suffer in health for instance european dogs in india yet they are rarely rendered sterile though a few such instances have been recorded the immunity of civilized races and domesticated animals is probably due to their having been subjected to a greater extent and therefore having grown somewhat more accustomed to diversified or varying conditions than the majority of wild animals and to their having formerly immigrated or been carried from country to country and to different families or sub-races having intercrossed it appears that a cross with civilized races at once gives to an aboriginal race an immunity from the evil consequences of changed conditions thus the crossed offspring from the tahitians and english when settled in pitcairn island increased so rapidly that the island was soon overstocked and in june eighteen fifty six they were removed to norfolk island they then consisted of sixty married persons and a hundred and thirty-four children making a total of a hundred and ninety-four here they likewise increased so rapidly that although sixteen of them returned to pitcairn island in eighteen fifty nine they numbered in january eighteen sixty eight three hundred souls the males and females being in exactly equal numbers what a contrast does this case present with that of the tasmanians the norfolk islanders increased in only twelve and a half years from a hundred and ninety four to three hundred whereas the tasmanians decreased during fifteen years from one hundred and twenty to forty six of which latter number only ten were children so again in the interval between the census of eighteen sixty six and eighteen seventy two the natives of full blood in the sandwich islands decreased by eight thousand eighty one whilst the half-castes who are believed to be healthier increased by eight hundred and forty seven but i do not know whether the latter number includes the offspring from the half-castes or only the half-castes of the first generation the cases which i have here given all relate to aborigines who have been subjected to new conditions as the result of the immigration of civilized men but sterility and ill-health would probably follow if savages were compelled by any cause such as the inroad of a conquering tribe to desert their homes and to change their habits it is an interesting circumstance that the chief check to wild animals becoming domesticated 
which implies the power of their breeding freely when first captured, and one chief checked to wild men when brought into contact with civilization, surviving to form a civilized race, is the same, namely, sterility from changed conditions of life. Finally, although the gradual decrease and ultimate extinction of the races of man is a highly complex problem, depending on many causes which differ in different places and at different times, it is the same problem as that presented by the extinction of one of the higher animals, of the fossil horse, for instance, which disappeared from South America, soon afterwards to be replaced, within the same districts, by countless troops of the Spanish horse. The New Zealander seems conscious of this parallelism, for he compares his future fate with that of the native rat, now almost exterminated by the European rat. Though the difficulty is great to our imagination, and really great if we wish to ascertain the precise causes and their manner of action, it ought not to be so to our reason as long as we keep steadily in mind that the increase of each species and each race is constantly checked in various ways, so that if any new check, even a slight one, be superadded, the race will surely decrease in number, and decreasing numbers will sooner or later lead to extinction. The end in most cases being promptly determined by the inroads of conquering tribes. On the Formation of the Races of Man In some cases, the crossing of distinct races has led to the formation of a new race. The singular fact that the Europeans and Hindus, who belong to the same Aryan stock and speak a language fundamentally the same, differ widely in appearance, whilst Europeans differ but little from Jews who belong to the Semitic stock and speak quite another language, has been accounted for by Brokaw, through certain Aryan branches having been largely crossed by indigenous tribes during their wide diffusion. When two races in close contact cross, the first result is a heterogeneous mixture. Thus, Mr. Hunter, in describing the Santali or hill tribes of India, says that hundreds of imperceptible gradations may be traced, quote, from the black squat tribes of the mountains to the tall olive-colored Brahmin with his intellectual brow, calm eyes, and high but narrow head, end quote so that it is necessary in courts of justice to ask the witnesses whether they are Santalis or Hindus. Whether a heterogeneous people, such as the inhabitants of some of the Polynesian islands, formed by the crossing of two distinct races, with few or no pure members left, would ever become homogeneous, is not known from direct evidence. But, as with our domesticated animals, 
a crossbreed can certainly be fixed and made uniform by careful selection. In the course of a few generations, the variation of animals and plants under domestication, volume 2, page 95, we may infer that the free intercrossing of a heterogeneous mixture during a long descent would supply the place of selection and overcome any tendency to reversion, so that the cross-race would ultimately become homogeneous, though it might not partake in an equal degree of the characters of the two parent races. Of all the differences between the races of man, the color of the skin is the most conspicuous and one of the best marked. It is formerly thought that differences of this kind could be accounted for by long exposure to different climates. But Pallas first shewed that this is not tenable, and he has since been followed by almost all anthropologists. This view has been rejected chiefly because the distribution of the various colored races, most of whom must have long inhabited their present homes, does not coincide with corresponding differences of climate. Some little weight may be given to such cases as that of the Dutch families, who, as we hear on excellent authority, have not undergone the least change of color after residing for three centuries in South Africa. An argument on the same side may likewise be drawn from the uniform appearance in various parts of the world of gypsies and Jews, though the uniformity of the latter has been somewhat exaggerated. A very damp or a very dry atmosphere has been supposed to be more influential in modifying the color of the skin than mere heat. But as d'Orbigny in South America and Livingston in Africa arrived at diametrically opposite conclusions with respect to dampness and dryness, any conclusion on this head must be considered as very doubtful. Various facts which I have given elsewhere prove that the color of the skin and hair is sometimes correlated in a surprising manner with a complete immunity from the action of certain vegetable poisons and from the attacks of certain parasites. Hence it occurred to me that Negroes and other dark races might have acquired their dark tints by the darker individuals escaping from the deadly influence of the miasma of their native countries during a long series of generations. I afterwards found that this same idea had long ago occurred to Dr. Wells. It has long been known that Negroes and even mulattoes are almost completely exempt from the yellow fever, so destructive in tropical America. They likewise escape to a large extent the fatal intermittent fevers that prevail along at least 2,600 miles of the shores of Africa and which annually cause one-fifth of the white settlers to die, and another fifth to return home invalided. This immunity in the Negro seems to be partly inherent, depending on some unknown peculiarity of constitution, and partly the result of acclimatization. Pouchet states 
that the negro regiments recruited near the sudan and borrowed from the viceroy of egypt for the mexican war escaped the yellow fever almost equally with the negroes originally brought from various parts of africa and accustomed to the climate of the west indies that acclimatization plays a part is shewn by the many cases in which negroes have become somewhat liable to tropical fevers after having resided for some time in a colder climate the nature of the climate under which the white races have long resided likewise has some influence on them for during the fearful epidemic of yellow fever in demerara during eighteen thirty seven dr blair found that the death rate of the immigrants was proportional to the latitude of the country whence they had come with the negro the immunity as far as it is the result of acclimatization implies exposure during a prodigious length of time for the aborigines of tropical america who have resided there from time immemorial are not exempt from yellow fever and the rev h b tristram states that there are districts in northern africa which the native inhabitants are compelled annually to leave though the negroes can remain with safety that the immunity of the negro is in any degree correlated with the color of his skin is a mere conjecture it may be correlated with some difference in his blood nervous system or other tissues nevertheless from the facts above alluded to and from some connection apparently existing between complexion and a tendency to consumption the conjecture seemed to me not improbable consequently i endeavored with but little success in the spring of eighteen sixty two i obtained permission from the director-general of the medical department of the army to transmit to the surgeons of the various regiments on foreign service a blank table with the following appended remarks but i have received no returns Quote, as several well-marked cases have been recorded with our domestic animals of a relation between the color of the dermal appendages and the constitution and it being notorious that there is some limited degree of relation between the color of the races of man and the climate inhabited by them the following investigation seems worth consideration namely whether there is any relation in europeans between the color of their hair and their liability to the diseases of tropical countries if the surgeons of the several regiments when stationed in unhealthy tropical districts would be so good as first to count as a standard of comparison how many men in the force whence the sick are drawn have dark and light-colored hair and hair of intermediate or doubtful tints and if a similar account were kept by the same medical gentleman of all the men who suffered from malarious and yellow fevers or from dysentery it would soon be apparent after some thousand cases have been tabulated whether there exists any relation between the color of the hair and constitutional liability to tropical diseases perhaps no such relation would be discovered but the investigation is well worth making 
in case any positive result were obtained it might be of some practical use in selecting men for any particular service theoretically the result would be of high interest as indicating one means by which a race of men inhabiting from a remote period an unhealthy tropical climate might have become dark-colored by the better preservation of dark-haired or dark-complexioned individuals during a long succession of generations quote, to ascertain how far it holds good the late dr daniel who had long lived on the west coast of africa told me that he did not believe in any such relation he was himself unusually fair and had withstood the climate in a wonderful manner when he first arrived as a boy on the coast an old and experienced negro chief predicted from his appearance that this would prove the case dr nicholson of antigua after having attended to this subject writes to me that dark-colored europeans escape the yellow fever more than those that are light-colored mr j m harris altogether denies that europeans with dark hair withstand a hot climate better than other men on the contrary experience has taught him in making a selection of men for service on the coast of africa to choose those with red hair Quote, that it has been noticed by some medical officers that europeans with light hair and florid complexions suffer less from diseases of tropical countries than persons with dark hair and sallow complexions and so far as i know there appear to be good grounds for this remark End quote. on the other hand mr heddle of sierra leone quote, who has had more clerks killed under him than any other man End quote, by the climate of the west african coast holds a directly opposite view as does captain burton as far therefore as these slight indications go there seems no foundation for the hypothesis that blackness has resulted from the darker and darker individuals having survived better during long exposure to fever generating miasma dr sharp remarks that a tropical sun which burns and blisters a white skin does not injure a black one at all and as he adds this is not due to habit in the individual for children only six or eight months old are often carried about naked and are not affected i have been assured by a medical man that some years ago during each summer but not during the winter his hands became marked with light brown patches like although larger than freckles and that these patches were never affected by sunburning whilst the white parts of his skin have on several occasions been much inflamed and blistered with the lower animals there is also a constitutional difference in liability to the action of the sun between those parts of the skin clothed with white hair and other parts whether the saving of the skin from being thus burnt is of sufficient importance to account for a dark tint having been gradually acquired by man through natural selection i am unable to judge if it be so we should have to assume that the natives of tropical america have lived there for a much shorter time 
than the negroes in africa or the papuans in the southern parts of the malay archipelago just as the lighter colored hindus have resided in india for a shorter time than the darker aborigines of the central and southern parts of the peninsula although with our present knowledge we cannot account for the differences of color in the races of man through any advantage thus gained or from the direct action of climate yet we must not quite ignore the latter agency for there is good reason to believe that some inherited effect is thus produced dr raleigh states on the authority of konikoff that the greater number of german families settled in georgia have acquired in the course of two generations dark hair and eyes mr d forbes informs me that the quichuas in the andes vary greatly in color according to the position of the valleys inhabited by them we have seen in the second chapter that the conditions of life affect the development of the bodily frame in a direct manner and that the effects are transmitted thus as is generally admitted the European settlers in the United States undergo a slight but extraordinary rapid change of appearance. Their bodies and limbs become elongated, and I hear from Colonel Bernice that during the late war in the United States good evidence was afforded of this fact by the ridiculous appearance presented by the German regiments when dressed in ready-made clothes manufactured for the American market and which were much too long for the men in every way. There is also a considerable body of evidence showing that in the southern states the house slaves of the third generation present a markedly different appearance from the field slaves. If, however, we look to the races of man as distributed over the world, we must infer that their characteristic differences cannot be accounted for by the direct action of different conditions of life, even after exposure to them for an enormous period of time. The Eskimos live exclusively on animal food. They are clothed in thick fur and are exposed to intense cold and to prolonged darkness. Yet they do not differ in any extreme degree from the inhabitants of southern China who live entirely on vegetable food, and are exposed almost naked to a hot, glaring climate. The unclothed Fuegians live on the marine productions of their inhospitable shores. The Botocudos of Brazil wander around the hot forests of the interior and live chiefly on vegetable productions, yet these tribes resemble each other so closely that the Fuegians on board the Beagle were mistaken by some Brazilians for Botocudos. The Botocudos, again, as well as the other inhabitants of tropical America, are wholly different from the Negroes who inhabit the opposite shores of the Atlantic, are exposed to a nearly similar climate, and follow nearly the same habits of life nor can the differences between the races of man be accounted for by the inherited effects of the increased or decreased use of parts, except to a quite insignificant degree. 
men who habitually live in canoes may have their legs somewhat stunted those who inhabit lofty regions may have their chests enlarged and those who constantly use certain sense organs may have the cavities in which they are lodged somewhat increased in size and their features consequently a little modified with civilized nations the reduced size of the jaws from lessened use the habitual play of different muscles serving to express different emotions and the increased size of the brain from greater intellectual activity have together produced a considerable effect on their general appearance when compared with savages increased bodily stature without any corresponding increase in the size of the brain may judging from the previously adduced case of rabbits have given to some races an elongated skull of the dolichocephalic type lastly the little understood principle of correlated development has sometimes come into action as in the case of great muscular development and strongly projecting supraorbital ridges the color of the skin and hair are plainly correlated as is the texture of the hair with its color in the mandans of north america mr catlin states that in the whole tribe of the mandans about one in ten or twelve of the members of all ages and both sexes have bright silvery gray hair which is hereditary now this hair is as coarse and harsh as that of a horse's mane whilst the hair of other colors is fine and soft the color also of the skin and the odor emitted by it are likewise in some manner connected with the breeds of sheep the number of hairs within a given space and the number of excretory pores are related if we may judge from the analogy of our domesticated animals many modifications of structure in man probably come under this principle of correlated development End of section 19. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas, USA.